the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the Two Man Power Trip Wrestling Podcasting Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back in time and look at those years in the mid 90s, the lost era, if you will, of the WWF, the Federation in transition when they went from the golden era to the attitude era. Well, in between. It was the new generation era, and that's something we're going to talk about today because the people that I'm going to focus on, uh, kind of most of them had a stop on each side of that uh, that coin. But let me welcome in my special guest here, a great, good, long-time personal friend of mine. I can't give this guy uh, the introduction that he deserves, but I'm just ha- happy to reconnect with him. My uh, My good friend here, Jack Hunter, joining me. Jack. Where are you, buddy? What's going on? I'm in Charleston, South Carolina right now. I'll be in Washington, D.C., my home tomorrow, and I am absolutely thrilled to be talking with you today. Glad you oh. asked me. Oh, my gosh. I can introduce Jack as, you know, the, the great freelance writer, the extraordinaire he is, the political uh, savant. He's got so many cool credits to his name, but uh, what I can also label Jack as is, quite frankly the best wrestling fan that I know. <laughs> and that is 100% shoot. That is an absolute title you have earned for all the sourness, for all the crap I hear, for all the bad stuff that everybody focuses on. Anytime I want to see something positive about wrestling, I dial into Jack's feed. And Jack is, like I said, the most positive, happy, go lucky wrestling fan I could pick out of the bunch. So, Jack, congratulations. I, I appreciate that. That's not by design. I mean, why do we like this stuff? It makes us happy, right? We don't like all of it, but I'm going to focus on the stuff that makes me happy and elevate that and cheer it on and share it with people. Like, you know, what, what's the point of making yourself miserable all the time over something you're supposed to love? I don't get it. It's a great point, and I have no freaking idea why we watch this stuff and we go, oh, man, it sucks. Like, I look, admittedly, and I've told you before, you know, I kind of tapped out a little bit the last time we had talked, but I really tapped out and hadn't watched anything for a long time. I watched the second night of WrestleMania, and, you know, I didn't really enjoy it. And why did I spend those hours on it if I didn't enjoy it? And it's somebody like you who I know you 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 got your you know finger on the pulse. You know what's going on basically in each promotion, and it's uh, it's great because I just I tend to be negative, and you always tend to present it in a positive way. So again, ha- I'm clapping for you, man. Hats off. Well, well thank you. <laughs> Let's face it, I'm a very simple man, so it doesn't take much to <laughs> entertain me. My big kick I've been on lately. I absolutely love Hollywood Hunk, Dolph Ziggler's brother on AEW. Oh yeah, like that guy's <laughs> great. The gimmick. <laughs> And arguing with people on Twitter about, oh, yes, I've been in many movies and whatnot. Like, how can you not love that? That's wonderful. He's great. And he <laughs> uh, he had a cup of coffee in uh, WWE developmental. And I know a lot of guys in the developmental system loved him because he's funny, because he's like his brother. They, they got a great personality. And he's finally getting the shot in AEW. And I, it's, it's one of those good stories that you do like about pro wrestling. So that's a yeah. great one to pick out. Absolutely. It's just kind of random, but it's something, you know, I 
narrowed in on, which you focused on. So, so uh, let me just ask you: Did you enjoy your uh, your two nights of WrestleMania, but then like your eight and a half days of WrestleMania related content? I did. I thought the takeovers were fantastic. I thought AEW that week, if you want to throw that in there, other <laughs> they did the house show was fantastic. Um, I like that night one of WrestleMania more than night two. I don't think I'm alone in that camp. I thought Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, you know, stole the show. Of course, the Roman match was good, but a lot of people wanted to see a new champ. I hope Roman keeps that thing as long as Bruno San Martino, seven or eight <laughs> years. You know, I think that would be cool. When do you see that in modern wrestling? So overall, I really enjoyed it. I think like many. I enjoyed seeing people there as much as any match or yeah. any angle. That was just so refreshing, you know, starting to turn the corner on these horrible COVID times. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a great point. And, you know, and obviously, you know, you'd go to shows. You were, you're a big, uh, you know, you're a big fan who goes to independent shows whenever you can. And the indie, indies have ceased to exist in the last year and a half. And uh, I believe you even went to an indie show race recently, didn't you? I did old school championship wrestling here in Charleston, South Carolina, where I'm from. I know my accent sounds like I'm from Brooklyn, but no, I'm from the South, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they do outdoor shows. The Windjammer is a legendary beach bar down here. My band's yeah. played at it many years, but for a while they would run once or twice a year, a wrestling show where they play volleyball out back and people flock to it. Uh, the last time I saw a show, put on by this indie group in Charleston, Austin theory was on the ticket this time. Oh, it was wow. Gangrel and your friend, Kevin Fertig. Yes. Um, so they always have some, some cool stars some cool local talent. Uh, JD Drake was on the last one. Now he's doing some cool stuff with AEW, but I've known those guys for a long time. It was so much fun, but it was good to go to a live wrestling show. Great or small. Uh, Kevin loves them. He absolutely yeah. adores the, the, the family that runs that promotion. He's always spoke so highly about them. And really, he he's you know ensconced in the real estate world now. That's one of the only bookings that he will take if they call because he loves working for them so much. It's just a way to sort of have his hand in this craft that he's known for, even though he's moved on to bigger and better things. And you know, to not be rusty. We've talked about that before. I get yeah. it. And it is a joy. Those uh, Joe Blumfeld and his wife Mary Sue are good people. Is it the Southern hospitality? Is that it? I think so. You know, I went for a walk earlier exercising and you walk at anybody, excuse me, you wave at anybody that drives by or w certainly walks by. And I know when I go back to the DC area tomorrow, that will not be the case there. So maybe <laughs> that has something to do with something. A lot, of, a lot of you wave and then there's one finger that comes back at you, but it's not necessarily the one you were hoping for. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's great. Well, yeah, good show that you went to. Uh, you know, again, it's just a, such a cool, unique uh, look that they've got to it. And they've been doing that for a while. I believe even pre-COVID, they always had that beach show, right? That was always one of their staples. Yes. Yes. It's not new. Uh, Joe, I believe, has worked security out at Windjammer before. And, you know, he was I think he's retired now, but used to be a wrestler. He's a big Sergeant Slaughter fan. But, yeah, they've done that for a number of years and they run their regular shows at Hanahan which is the actual town I grew up in and at their rec center that's their regular nice. spot so the beach shows are special very cool all right well this is what we're going to talk about we're going to go special today we're going to talk about the uh, the WWE Hall of Fame classes because that was one of the cool events that they had uh was WrestleMania week they had the 2020 and 2021 Hall of Fame induction now, what I didn't like about it was that it was in front of the Thunderdome. I would have liked to have seen maybe just a kind of more intimate uh, audience of the superstars and maybe the backstage people, like how they kind of used to do it back in the day where it would be more elite group of people that were inside instead of the Thunderdome and the very canned, uh, very over-the-top 
uh, sound effects and applause and uh, chants that they piped into the uh, to the place that they had. It. Did they have it at the arena? Or did they have it in in Tampa at the uh, the baseball stadium? They had it at the Thunderdome. What what is that? Where was is it that? in the Thunderdome? All right, so the Thunderdome, I believe, is the Amway Center. Okay, in Orlando, which I drove by when I was in Orlando a few weeks back. Uh, nice, beautiful, big building. But I know they were also in Tampa Bay at the baseball stadium. Let me see here. I have it in front of me. Oh no, it was that Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg? So it was okay. where the Tampa Bay Rays play that was before uh, the season started the week before. So they were able to sneak in there. I'm sure this would have been on the docket for WrestleMania had there not been baseball returning. Sure. And uh, yeah, so they had it in a cavernous, cavernous venue with the Thunderdome and piped in over the top, sometimes louder than the people talking uh, canned uh, WWE special effects. So that was one thing I didn't like about it. What did you think about the Hall of Fame presentation and the uh, the Hall of Fame ceremonies? I, you know, it's a difficult circumstance they're in, but I tend to agree with you. I'd rather seen, you know, like Vince and his family. Well, he doesn't like to be in the audience for these things, but you know what I mean? People who work for WWE that know they've been vaccinated or whatever, that wrestle each other or backstage anyways. I'd rather them see their peers watching this than nobody or just the Thunderdome that's sort of random. And especially, you know, we're, we're both friends with Glenn Jacobs. I know how much this means to him and it's meant something to him anyways, but you know, my heart of hearts, I wish that would have been in front of his peers yeah. and in front of an audience. And you know, you, if you're a wrestler, if you're an actor, you dream about winning an Oscar. If you're a musician, you dream about winning a Grammy. What does that look like? What does it feel like? This is pie in the sky sort of stuff that people like a Glenn Jacobs or the members of the NWO did reach those heights. Yeah. And here they are grand finale to your career in front of no one. Yeah. So, eh. Yeah. Hey, look, if we really want to get technical, The Undertaker technically had his last match on a soundstage. So, so you know, enough. it's just a uh, it, it's kind of a casualty. But yes, we'll get into Glenn and, and his induction, uh, because obviously in the new generation era, Glenn was uh, kind of gritting his teeth. Uh, and that was not a pun. I just caught myself. That was not a pun. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was not a pun on Isaac Yankin. But we'll get to Glenn and his uh, induction here in, in a couple of minutes. But you mentioned the NWO. And be honest with you, if it wasn't for the WWF new generation, there was no NWO because Scott Hall and Kevin Nash as Diesel, uh, Jack, on this program, uh, I always say they're the top five guys of the WWF mid-90s. It's uh, Hall, Nash, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and The Undertaker. Those are the five guys that carried the, uh, the, sure. you know, the torch of the WWF. Uh, the fact that the NWO was getting inducted on WWE TV was a little weird uh, but were you a Razor and Diesel fan? Uh, and I, we'll get into, too, how you weren't really watching at the time. But what did you think of Razor and Diesel, who basically set the table for this NWO? I knew more about Razor than Diesel at the time. Like I said, I'd stopped watching for a period. You know, I grew up on NWA Mid-Atlantic, which turned into WCW. But, I, you know, I was an American kid. Of course, I loved Hulkamania and Hulk Hogan and all that stuff. But during that era, I knew Razor Ramon was because I loved that gimmick. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cool. Um, and Diesel, I knew it was. I remember the whole Vinny Vegas thing and um, – can't remember the order of that sometime because I wasn't watching as closely. But obviously, I agree with you that they and the other people you mentioned carried it through. I thought Razor Ramon was cool in the way I thought Rick Rude was cool. Just this mm -hmm. gimmick was so over the top and, you know, a ridiculous amount of machismo. I just I like that kind of stuff. Um, so I was attracted to them. I would catch the show sometimes, but it wasn't appointment viewing like it was when before right. or like it is today. Like I get really excited on Wednesdays now, very excited and Tuesdays now, frankly. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. 
Jack, you're going to have to create new days of the week that don't have wrestling in it so you can actually go out and do things and, uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's, and stay active. <laughs> that's Thursday, and I have a, a good friend that wrestles there, so I, I sometimes I DVR Impact, and I watch some of it, but I at least watch his parts, and you know, good to see him moving up. And that's a remarkable story, too, because I remember when you met him, <laughs> that was a remarkable, uh, remarkable rise to through the ranks of a career uh, Absolutely. In, in the amount of time uh, it was. So now uh, let's just stick with. So Razor Ramon, he's Scott Hall. We don't really talk about WCW here because I like to keep it in this new generation sure. bubble. But if it wasn't for the machismo and the coolness of, of a Razor Ramon, the Scott Hall who brought Razor Ramon to life, who really set the table for the coolness of the NWO, maybe it, it didn't happen. Now, did the NWO kind of bring you more back into being a fan as you were maybe a little bit tapped out during the, uh, the, the heart of the mid nineties. Yes. Yeah, so my best friend growing up is who got me into wrestling. I started watching when I was about eight and like I said, I kind of quit watching it. He was watching more than I am. And he called me, I was living in Boston. He was still in Charleston. He's like, Hey man, have you watched wrestling lately? I'm like, if it's on, I'll, I'll look. And he goes, you need to pay attention to like nitro and, WCW and it was Scott. He was talking about the NWO. He's like, these guys are like showing up because I don't know what's going on. This is wild. Like a lot of people. Right. Um, and so that's what got me into it. And I'll jump back into it quick. I discovered ECW and all that. Now I was 10 times the fan. He was after that watching everything ring of honor, but let's stick to the subject. Mm -hmm. You were right. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were of interest to WCW to do start the NWO, which brought me back because of their platform and WWF at the time. I mean, I don't think anybody disputes that. That's what made them interesting is the NWO, the crossover invading WCW right. because of the platform that Vince gave them. Right. So in that way, you know, Vince is sort of responsible for the thing that kicked his company's butt for 83 weeks and that made his company so much better for so many years with the Attitude Era. So Razor Ramon's already a Hall of Famer, technically, but now Scott Hall is also as a, a you know, an NWO member. But does Razor Ramon kind of get, two rings because if it wasn't for razor ramon then we wouldn't have known scott hall to be so cool and popping on the wcw does does the razor ramon character get like a uh a, a little um uh, asterisk at the bottom of uh scott hall's uh award plaque i think so because if you, you know different capacities like i think sean waltman absolutely deserves his nwo hall of fame he absolutely deserves his degeneration x hall of fame but i think he deserves a one two three kid just by himself hall of fame if they do that, they might not, but I think he's certainly at that level. Yeah, um, agreed. So, yeah, so no, I think Razor Ramon and the NWO, it was kind of the same character in a sense, but it also wasn't. You know, the NWO was this thing bigger than even Hulk Hogan just himself. It was bigger than all of them. The N right. People had NWO shirts more than they had Hogan or Scott Hall shirts at the time, if that makes any sense. Um, uh, that outsider shirt was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, true. <laughs> True, <laughs> but you know, you say the one, two, three kid. It's a great, uh, it's a great little like kind of side conversation because if the WWF stunk in the mid '90s, and that's the way people have mostly said it, it was not good. You know, this the product was stagnant. There was no huge stars because Hogan came in and he was gone, and Savage was on his way out, and there was no Ultimate Warrior for a few years. Piper came in, but he wasn't the same. But the, the big stars were gone. So then, why is the NWO? so popular if it's got nothing but new generation guys as the cornerstones hall nash and and waltman who are razor diesel and the one two three kid if nobody's watching 
Right. I think that whatever anybody else might want to say about Eric Bischoff, and I'm a fan, I think he was right to see the need, just like Paul Heyman did at a smaller level, to freshen up wrestling. Something different needed to happen. I believe in one of his WWE documentaries, he stresses, you know, wrestling fans like surprises. And he was talking about the Lex Luger first Nitro. Well, what what kind of surprise are the guys who identifiably are Vince's star showing up on a WCW program? Yeah. That's what brought me back and millions yeah. of others. And my friend thought to call me that I needed to know this important information about what was going on in wrestling. Um, I, you know, my whole family thinks I'm crazy i'm the only one into this is you know i'm a nut about it but i remember at that time during that era being home and my dad talking to a guy he worked with and the guy's like well i gotta get out of here i gotta go see what's on nitro tonight he's like my son loves that stuff but it was during that era right if you see what i'm saying you had so many eyeballs more eyeballs because eric bischoff thought he needed to freshen up what wrestling looked like we were in the post hogan era and people were trying to do different versions of cartoon stuff and he went the other direction with those characters, I, I there, there's probably other people. If Shawn Michaels had jumped or something, that could all could have also have done that. And wouldn't that have been fun to watch? But it needed to be somebody at that level working for Vince, and that's what it was. Yeah, because I mean Hogan, look, he's there from uh, about uh, March, no February '93. Then Hogan's gone in July '93. He does a couple European tours, and he's out the door, out of WWF. Doesn't go back for almost ten years. Pops into WCW in 94. So while Hulk Hogan's debuting in 94 and they're setting the table for the NWO two years later, the WWF is trying to create these new stars. Brett, Brett Hart's the uh, the anchor of the world title and, and pretty much who it's synonymous with during this era. But again, if it wasn't for those three guys, Hall, Nash, and Waltman being so cool, I don't think the NWO takes off in the way it does because, you know, I love me some Hulkster and I'm a Hulkamaniac through and through. But if I'm thinking cool and kind of cutting edge in 1996, it wasn't Hulk Hogan putting on a black shirt and putting brown stuff on his face or black uh, five o'clock shadow. It was these three guys that were bringing in, you know, like the, the hip hop culture and the rebel culture and, yeah. you know, the bandanas and the jeans and the goatees and this and that. It's just it was a it was very 90s indicative. but Hulk Hogan ain't the coolest guy in the room when you look at the NWO. Right. And, you know, his popularity coupled with their use, their use, their youth is what I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, like I said, freshening up, up wrestling, but newer stars with this legend who could still go. He still had plenty left in the tank, but he looked cooler standing next to them. And they looked like a bigger deal standing next to Hogan. I think it all just right. sort of interconnected. Um, and he says that, too. He says that. And I think they all acknowledge that. and They seem to have a mutual respect amongst each other and realize that they're a part of this wonderful thing. I like that any of them individually. I think Kevin Nash was the last I heard say this, that because of the WWE network, that like a six-year-old will come up to him in an yeah. NWO shirt that you know, was nowhere near existing at the time that all that was popular. And that is pretty cool. Oh, no, that's very cool. So kind of, it, like I said, if it wasn't for the new generation folks, those three guys, one, two, three kid, Razor Ramon and Big Daddy Cool Diesel, the NWO might not have their cool factor. And for an era where people weren't really watching the WWF, they sure as heck switched over <laughs> to watch right. WCW to see those three guys and then get to know them. And then, you know, obviously the rest is history, but. The history doesn't matter here. We're in the new generation. We're in the mid nineties. Uh, you're a music guy. Uh, you know, you tapped out of wrestling where you were kind of cutting your own teeth and, and starting to kind of have the very interesting life that you have. Where were you at in 90? Uh, now let's say, let's go to 1993. Where were you at 
uh, why'd you tap out? And what was uh, some of the other things that were catching your attention? I had just moved to Boston, Massachusetts, which I'm also not from, if you pay attention to my accent, in 1993. <laughs> I lived there from 93 to 96. You know, when when did the NWO debut? I should know this. The NWO you know. debuted in 1996 in June at the Great American Bash. Okay, so I was watching ECW for many of those years, but maybe not the main product. ECW had been going on. I watched a lot of ECW living there in Boston. They went to the Revere Dog Track, which I met Taz yeah. once, and we laughed about it. What a dump it was. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's there anymore. But that brought me into it big time because I could go to those shows in the Northeast. You couldn't really do that in South Carolina, right? Um, as you know. Um, but it was that. It was the NWO, and it was kind of the same thing, right? So, like, it was punk rock. It was different. You know, the first time I saw ECW, I was in Charleston. I saw their syndicated show for that area, and it was Doug Furness and RVD hitting each other with chairs. And I was like, who is that? What is going on? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then I ate up the rest of it with the NWO and the guys we're talking about. You know, you don't know why we're here. You don't know. And then the third man and all this stuff. And it's just like, what is happening? I've never seen anything like this. You know, I'm a Ric Flair Four Horsemen thing. It was like when they tied Dusty to the van, like, what, what is going on? This is crazy. I've never seen this on wrestling. It was that kind of feeling. And when it gives you that kind of feeling, you're going to watch. You're going to pay attention. Um, so that's sort of the the magic of it. I remember in Boston, I was a musician. I was playing and I was working in a warehouse and driving a truck. I was right out of high school and uh, was looking to, to do something else and be adventurous. So that's why I was there. It was very cold. All right. So you didn't have time to get up on uh, Saturday morning to watch superstars and uh, WWF mania and catch up on the likes of Bastion Booger and Doink. <laughs> no. And when I did see that stuff, I, I turned it off. And especially, you know, I, I love Jim Cornette. And he talks about the cartoon wrestling up there. Well, that was true to a degree during the Hogan era, but that stuff was still good. Hogan and Andre and Macho Man and, you know, Ultimate Warrior later and all that. That stuff was still good, however cartoonish it might have been. That excitement was gone, and you just had the cartoon stuff left over. I'm like, well, I'm a young man, but I'm a grown man. I don't want to see this stupid crap. You know, poor Glenn with the Isaac Yankum and all that. I do have the Isaac Yankum shirt just to aggravate him, by the way. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what, what adult male that's just not absolutely in love with this, which I had been and had fallen out of love because of stuff like that, um, you know. I don't think I'm alone in that either. No, no, not at all. I mean, but I was a kid. I was, you know, I, I was only 10, 11 years old at the time. So for me, it was like, all right, I, I miss my guys. I miss my Hogan, Piper, Savage, you know, uh, rude, you know, Mr. Perfect was kind of not in the, the picture at the time. Like I'm missing those guys and I'm seeing the tag team guys starting to be pushed. And I'm like, eh, something don't feel right about this. You know, I, I'm used to these big gigantic stars. Uh, so that's why I, I kind of I look at it back as, through a ten year old's eyes and then through a thirty eight year old man's eyes and I'm trying to see does it really uh, does it kind of line up now you being a little bit older and kind of looking at this and being like eh, not really uh, my cup of tea there were guys that you really loved in the WWF at this point Cornette being one of the top guys for the entire run of the new generation. Absolutely. And you brought up tag teams. Like when I went to see wrestling as a kid for mid Atlantic and WA, like the main event, a lot of the time was midnight express versus rock and roll express. Like that, they were the, was, that was the B show at the time, the B show that made more money than the A show with flair and dusty and all that. So I was already acclimated to, you know, used to tag teams can be in the main event. It didn't seem weird. The road warriors. Yeah. They're in the main event anywhere. You know, the Steiners came later. They could be in the main event anywhere. So that wasn't so weird to me. Um, yeah, it was just the 
I'd hate to be redundant, but just the cartoonishness and what, when was Jim Hurd's era? So that's my Southern wrestling. Yeah. You got that combined with what the WWE was doing at the time. I was like, this is not yeah. 1986 Jim Crockett. No. Here, so. no, not at all. It's a far cry from it. And basically, I mean, by the time flair goes back in uh, what, November 93 and has the big uh, match with Vader at Starcade. That's about when Jim Hurd is gone. So there's a good two-year-plus stranglehold, almost three years that Hurd brings WCW down. And we're talking right. down that, you know, it's funny, WWF could have been in the position that they were in up to when AEW came then, but it just, you know, they were still more. And, and I associate more, you know, obviously WCW with Southern Wrestling because even though I got it on Superstation, they were never really that close to me. I was, in, you know, I was still 90 minutes from Philly or I was, you know, then they came to New Jersey every so often, but not a lot. Sure. So for me, it was, uh, you know, uh, a kind of a far stretch for us to be fans of, of the NWA or WCW. Now, all right, let's go back to the Hall of Fame. Uh, this is one I think everybody kind of really does think is like the slam dunk WWE new generation era guy. Uh, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, finally gets his induction. Uh, so he's kind of let go in 92 for reasons. He comes back in 94, a part of the uh, Owen Hart-Brett storyline, and then is a mainstay throughout when I say the new generation ends in early 1997. Uh, but the Bulldog became a main event guy during this era. Uh, what did you think about the British Bulldog getting this nod finally? And did you get a chance to see him during that heel British Bulldog turning on uh, Big Daddy Cool and cutting his hair and becoming a top-level guy. I, I kind of knew about that after the fact. I'm just trying to emphasize how little I was watching then. I turned it on. I'm like, oh, this is the British Bulldog's by himself now. Uh, oh, this is what they're doing. And kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And I like the British Bulldogs, you know, before that. Because I, yeah. I did like tag teams. And they were one of the best. So I, it just kind of – it's weird because going back and watching the footage now, I absolutely love angles like the one you're describing. But the product as a whole – it turned me off so much. I missed some of the good stuff that happened during that time. Yeah, he comes back. He's just kind of fodder in the uh, the Brett Owen storyline. Him and Brett are teaming against the Anvil and Owen on a bunch of house shows and some Monday Night Raws. And it's ba they're basically as funny as it's been. I must. It would be great to be a fly on the wall at Thanksgiving because I mean they had so many matches together. They're probably sick of each other <laughs> by the time Thanksgiving came around. Because from about the summer through. You, you, Early 95, it's nothing but those four in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I think the Bulldog, a lot of people kind of turned and got behind him, even as a heel, when he started going after the belt. And him and Brett have a great match at the December 95 in your house, which is regarded as one of the lowest buy rate pay-per-views in WWE company history. Uh, but they have a bloody, bloody, bloody match that Brett whacks himself open with, albeit pop, probably intentional. Um, that I got to tell you, it might be on par with the SummerSlam match. Have you ever seen the December 95 Bulldog Brett title match? I've seen clips. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the whole thing. I probably should. I, I'm obviously aware that it existed, but you know, as a wrestling fan now, such a diehard, you're kind of ashamed. Like, man, what was it? What was I doing when that was going on? That was more important than that. Probably nothing more important than that. And you didn't know, and you just kind of tuned out the, the product, but, uh, Yeah. I think that was the right space at the right time. Those were the top guys they had. They were trying to get through. They figured it out when they got to the Attitude Era. And even before that, you know, a huge Bret Hart fan as well. But, um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great match. I mean, again, this is a cool thing about this show, too. And as much as I've had people say they weren't watching at the time, I've had people say how much they've gone back to watch after coming on here because we kind of toggle the old brain. You know, we kind of get you thinking, maybe I should go back and watch that. And if you were going to put something on your list, I'd say check it out. Because even the buildup is great because you really do think the Bulldog's going to win because they push heavily. He beat him once. What makes you think you can't beat him again? Right. Right. So great booking. Thanks, Vince. And uh, I wish more people had seen it. <laughs> uh, and a great speech by his family. Uh, Harry Smith, you know, definitely didn't get his shot on the main stage. He has an MLW and he did in Japan and he's made a name for himself. Uh, and Georgia Smith, I mean, is just to me, she's a, a personality waiting in the wings. She's got uh, great presence. She's got class. And she's carrying her her father's, uh, you know, banner uh, to uh, new fans that have never heard of him before. And to me, I think it's very cool. And uh, without her, I don't think maybe this induction happens. Absolutely. And I'm a, I'm a fan of Davey Boy Jr., Harry Smith, whatever they want to call him. But I've seen him wrestle in the Indian Charleston a number of times. Um, and I've always wondered, I'm a big fan of MLW, watch it every week. Well, somebody with those looks, and I, my understanding is he might be heading back to the WWE, but I couldn't understand why he wasn't in WWE or AEW sooner. He's got all the tools. He's, you know, the legacy. So he's wonderful. You know, I think the problem was with him is that he was there so young that any flaws that he might have had probably, you know, kind of stuck on the surface too much. And the guys didn't want to really deal with that problem that he might have had. And, you know, since then, he's been gone from his original WWE run for over 10 years. Right. and. I He's done a pretty damn good job for himself, and that's what you do. Come back as a main eventer now, hopefully, because uh, they could use a name like his. Uh, I hope, in, in I hope so. Picture. He's a no-brainer. I've, I've said to friends, uh, why in the hell is he not on one of the big platforms? I don't get this. I don't understand it. <laughs> All right, how about this one? How about William Shatner? Did you ever see William Shatner's uh, run? I actually did an episode about the show that William Shatner was on on Monday Night Raw in 1995, I believe, uh, have you ever seen Shatner and Bret Hart taking out Jerry Lawler? I've seen that before. That's absolutely fantastic. And he comes across as a fan. I like how he, when he, in his speech, he sort of categorized himself as that coming from Canada and with so many Canadian wrestlers. Um, so I think he's a classy guy. Look, I have this beef with most wrestling fans. We talked about how positive I am and I am, and this is actually being negative for reasons because I want more people to more positive. I hate when celebrities, who are obvious fans, not just somebody that doesn't know what's going on, but just wants to be on TV, but like John Stewart, right. William Shatner, people who know something about this and are fans like us, maybe not to the same degree. And the fans all boo them. Yeah. I get it. You want wrestling on your wrestling show, but that dude likes this as much as we do. Bad Bunny likes this stuff. You which know is, what I mean? Yeah, which is funny. <laughs> so William Shatner in that category, I kind of like for his sake that he went into the Hall of Fame with no fans there because they might have done that. They, yeah, they, you're fan. right. And no, I, you're absolutely right. I don't like it. I'm like, don't you want more people, especially famous people, to like this stuff and think it's cool? I thought it was cool with Jungle Boy and his dad, Luke Perry. His dad's favorite was Dusty Rhodes. How cool is that? How many people knew that for the longest time? Not many. Um, I don't understand why more wrestling fans don't embrace that, including you know people like William Shatner going in the Hall of Fame. 
Yeah, and you know, and it's funny, like with as much press as it gets now, where were all these wrestling fans back in the day? You know, like it's yeah. on, it's in all these major platforms, and all these celebrities are referencing it, and sports references it like crazy. Where were all these people twenty years ago? <laughs> I don't know. I think Jim Ross has said that you know, and I agree with him that Ric Flair is more relevant in a larger pop culture way today than he's ever been. He doesn't even wrestle anymore. I was um, just listening to. I'm sorry to cut you off. I was just listening to New York radio uh, a couple hours ago and they referenced him being at that uh, uh, fight that happened over the weekend that Jake Paul fight uh, and the girl who was talking about it is my age she's 38 I I can't even believe she knows who Ric Flair was because where were these people 20 years ago yes and I always saw you know most people in the country know Hogan Austin Rock probably Flair definitely in the southeast Flair but it's national if not global with people too young to really should have known who he was in his prime, like you just mentioned. So we're okay with William Shatner, WWE Hall of Famer? Yes. All right, good. Okay, it's got the Jack Hunter stamp of approval. <laughs> that's a biggie. That, if you can get the Jack Hunter stamp, that's uh, that, there's not many more hurdles you have to get past. Maybe just Vince. And again, if it's Vince just waking up one morning and being like, oh, I want William Shatner in the Hall of Fame, then you know what? I guess it was a good morning for Mr. Shatner. <laughs> Vince, thinking about him. Vince ran all of these by me, so we discussed it at late. <laughs> <laughs> now here's another guy, uh, WWF staple, WWE staple. Uh, whether or not he's going in just for JBL, we have to give a nod to John. Uh, excuse me, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, the original. I guess you'd say ripoff of Stan Hansen. Uh, yeah. Debuted the night after WrestleMania in 1996 in a losing effort to the Undertaker. He absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. JBL was one of my favorite people ever. Obviously, the, I think the APA deserved their own induction, and he deserves his own induction. Ron Simmons is already in there on his own. Um, absolutely. Look, besides you know Cena and Eddie Guerrero stuff, all the, the wonderful things JBL did, I remember the promos um, when he feuded with Rey Mysterio, some of the borderline racist things he was saying about immigrants. And you could say that's bad, but he's a bad guy. He's a heel. Yeah. That's what he's supposed to do. But the one that still makes me laugh to this day, his feud with John Cena, he's like, rappers belong in jail. He's talking <laughs> about his economic stuff. It's like, well, that's kind of borderline too, but that's pretty funny. And look at this Texas, you know, rich J.R.U. and Keel. So I, I just think he was great. He was an important part of his time in the WWE. He's still there announcing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all day long. And who doesn't love Stan Hansen or anybody trying to rip off Stan Hansen successfully? Come on. You I mean, know? they've tried to do it a million times. And hey, let's also not give a a, a pass to the new Blackjacks, which were supposed to right. be Blackjack Lanza and Blackjack Mulligan's descendants of Barry Windham. And they're trying to claim that uh, <laughs> Bradshaw was a descendant of Blackjack Lanza. Uh, very short cup of coffee. I actually saw them in Madison Square Garden as a tag team. Uh, the new Blackjacks, and I bet you that's probably a rare thing. I can't even tell you how many people listening to this show have seen the new Blackjacks wrestle live. <laughs> I think I saw the new Blackjacks. I went to a WWF show at Madison Square Garden. It was just there randomly on a trip to New York when I lived in Boston during that era. I think they were on the card, if I recall. And you might have been at the same show as me, because I don't I know how have. many they did. <laughs> I might have, yeah. Was it, was it a steel cage match, Bret Hart and uh, Sid Vicious? I remember Million Dollar Band coming out. I don't even remember the main event. I remember getting mustard all over my nice pants I was wearing at the time and my friend was laughing at me uh and I remember gold dust was fairly new that so I think mm-hmm. around that period I don't know 
Interesting. All right, no, it might not be the same one, but still, nonetheless, poor your poor expensive pants. That'll teach you to wear expensive <laughs> pants to wrestling. I remember that more than anything. Mustard all over them. Some, somebody was trying to go to a club after uh, he went to the garden, I think. So that's, that's so. probably what it was. Uh, but yeah, Justin Alk Bradshaw, the new Blackjacks, he'd become JBL. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say JBL was the last good heel. I may be outside of Randy Orton, uh, but old school, getting heat heel, legit did stuff that uh, got them heat in countries other than the United States. Uh, I'm going to give JBL the nod. <laughs> yeah, Germany especially. That was probably taking it too far, but, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I would agree with that. He got real heat. It wasn't go-away heat. It was, I want to see that guy get his ass kicked heat, which is what you want. Um, and he did it well. In the WWF, if we're talking about other companies, that's a different conversation, but yes. yeah. No, definitely. JBL belongs in their Hall of Fame for sure. Uh, funny as hell. Now, I'm going to say the only other person. Uh, and we, you know what? Let's give a nod. So they did the legacy inductees, uh, which I'm not a big fan of these because I don't really think the families have any kind of involvement in this. And they just kind of wake up and say, eh, it's time to put so-and-so in the legacy wing of the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, they had two classes. Uh, they had a, a hodgepodge of, of folks go in. But one of them uh, that we were just talking about briefly before we got started here was a guy that you personally loved growing up, and that is Pistol Pez Watley. Now, looking at my timeline, I said he might have been a job guy in the mid-'90s. He actually was a job guy up to 1991 in the WWF. But I'll give you your little platform. I know how much you love uh, Pistol Pez. Sure. So I used to go see Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Jim Crockett, NWA, once a month at St. Andrews High School Gym. That was the venue you went to, and it was monthly. And you usually had rock and roll midnight, you know, headlining. That was a big one. Um, some of the other bigger names. But the feud I remember most, Pistol Pez Watley, or later Shaska Watley, who was trying to do sort of a, you know, a different gimmick there, but he was in Paul Jones army for a brief time. He was always a heel, but the big feud I remember was with Jimmy boogie, woogie man, Valiant, ball headed geek and hair shaving matches. I have a scrapbook of this day. I kept since I was a kid that has the rundown of what, you know, handsome Jimmy did the pistol Pez or Chaska Watley or whatever he was going by at the time. And he was just a big, big part of my childhood wrestling watching fandom. But when I saw him go in, I'm like, is he really Hall of Fame level? He was a big deal to me in the Southeast. I, you know, like you said, he was a jobber in the WWF. You know, I don't want to begrudge anybody their accomplishments or whatever, but if the Hall of Fame's got to mean something, you have to reach a certain threshold. And, you know, like I, I like Coco Beware as a kid. I like Frankie. I'm not sure that he belongs in there. Mm -hmm. Really that level. I don't know that Pez Watley does either. And, you know, I, I don't like I don't have a problem with the legacy. Like I still think Ivan Koloff needs to go in there, should have went in there right. live, but still, but I agree with you that the family should have some connection to it or the WWE should reach out to them because that's really what it's about more than some fan that might remember these people. It has to mean something to the people closest to the performer. So yeah. I don't want to take away Paz Watley's posthumous award or anything, but I don't know that he reaches that level. And I say that as somebody who enjoyed watching him as a kid. Yeah, this is just like the uh, recognition award. It's not even like it's, you know, if the Hall of Fame, and that's the biggest debate about the Hall of Fame. Is it a legit Hall of Fame? Is it just a WWE vehicle or WWE gimmick? You know, Shane Douglas has said on, on Triple Threat Podcast a million times, it, if there's not a physical location, it is not a Hall of Fame. And, you know, until guys like uh, Ivan Koloff or, or Dominic DiNucci are put in, guys that contribute right. to that company, then these other guys, these fringe guys that yeah, may not be Hall of Famers, but are getting inducted. It's like 
don't call it the Hall of Fame. Call it like the recognition wall or something like that. Or they're putting being put on a, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a some sort of mural uh, of sorts, you know, to, to honor them. And a Hall of Fame is a, is a strong word. And this legacy thing is just is very random. It is. And, you know, I kind of have a real world example of this that I saw that was uh, I go to the NWA Legends Fan Fest uh, thing. You've been to those. We've been there. And they honor Dusty Rhodes. Were you at that one? And Dusty's widow was there and some of the family. I don't think I was at that one. Um, That might have been the year after I had gone and then the two years before I went back. Okay, And it was a wonderful thing. Good God. The the promoter for that now does such a wonderful job. And I'm going in July and we're getting around post-COVID, can't wait. But that particular year, the way the fans were expressing themselves to the family of Dusty Rhodes, who had just not too long ago, you know, lost their father or, you know, the actual family member. It's weird for fans who we have a relationship with somebody we see on TV or at live events to, you know, they know that the world loves Dusty Rhodes and love this beloved member of their family, but there was just an oddness to it. So that's why I think it's important for the families to be included, be okay with it when WWE does this stuff. If any of that I just said makes sense. I saw it up close. I saw it in real time, and I was a little uncomfortable with it. Not because it was wrong for the fans to love Dusty Rhodes or this family to be in mourning, but they didn't seem to click together. The family's on a different level with their lost loved one that shouldn't be correct. Right. Tard is not the right word because everybody was trying to do the right thing in that room. There's nothing but love, but it just didn't work. Yeah, and it, well, <laughs> on a funnier scale, I kind of do the same thing when they show the uh, if somebody passes away and somebody puts together a uh, piece of artwork or a, uh, a little uh, diorama of action figures of the departed wrestlers at the pearly gates waiting for the now departed wrestler to enter. I'm gonna think he's gonna go see his family first before he goes and cracks a beer with the boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. I think you're not, you know, booking a match before you see granddad or whoever. You're, you're looking to see exactly yeah so that's always it's kind of funny you say it like that because I, I i think that similar thing when it comes to how you know fans honor them and, and kind of treat them a little differently than the families might think but i i will tell you i was at the one with you where rowdy piper passed away yes we were there the day he passed yes like they was, getting food for the dinner yeah that was an interesting one i thought that was special because you were there with people who lived life with him or knew him personally uh I think, you know, one of the legends there who's a trainer said something about, you know, bad habits catch up with you. And I'm not trying to, you know, I love Roddy Piper, but, you know, that's part of the story. But being in that environment, there's Ricky Steamboat, there's Les Thatcher, and there's all these. I thought that was cool cool as a fan. And there were no family members there, so it wouldn't seem disrespectful or weird like the other thing was. Yeah. No, it does. But, like, yeah, Greg Valentine was there and all these guys that he had these connections with career-wise. and Yeah. It was was a surreal sight to to believe uh, that you were literally at a wrestling convention honoring – a territory that he was a huge part of. It was, uh, it was a very interesting, um, I guess, coincidence that it all happened that way. Absolutely. The only thing I would compare it to, I saw Merle Haggard in Augusta on the same day Waylon Jennings died. Oh, wow. So these two outlaw country icons, you know, one singing to me and one just passed. We all learned the whole room did. It was like that. And it's just a, kind of a special thing to be a part of. Man, it's so weird how time works. That's uh, <laughs> that's all yeah. I can tell you. Um, all right, so then there's one final guy to to cover here for the uh, the Hall of Fame portion here. It's pretty much, I mean, you know, when I thought about what to talk about with you, it's really the thing that actually worked out the most perfect that it, I wanted to talk about the Hall of Fame. Um, and that's Glenn Jacobs, who at this time in, in 1995 debuts as Isaac Yankum DDS, 
would morph into the imposter diesel as Kevin Nash departed for WCW, like we talked about. Uh, but that's not why he's going in the Hall of Fame. He's going in the Hall of Fame because he was a part of the creation of, I say, and this is no bias, this is not kissing ass, this is nothing, could be the most, and next to The Undertaker, the, the second most uh, successful and greatest character that the WWE ever created. I agree with you in full. I think, like The Undertaker, it's hard to imagine who else could have pulled that off in the way that he did. I think even he, well, I don't think, I know, he didn't think he would have that long a shelf life, even with that character being as over as it was right off the bat. And yet he did it, you know, how many decades are we talking about? Oh, my gosh. And he did different incarnations. He kept reinventing himself. And, you know, to this day, you know, in Knox County, Tennessee, he's known as Mayor Kane to millions of people of all ages. Um, so if anybody on that entire lineup deserved to be in there, to me, he's at that NWO level. You could even argue maybe he's above that in some ways for longevity, how long he did it at yeah. that level. So, you know, my only disappointment was, you know, knowing Glenn and how much it means to him. We all saw the clip on the bump with the Undertaker. I mean, Glenn had to stop talking so he wouldn't cry. He was so yeah. sad when the Undertaker said, you're going in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, part of them had to note it like, all right, well, I'm on here. It's this time of year. <laughs> this, this might happen, but it, it means so much to somebody that this is their craft that, you know, it's going to overwhelm you even if you could kind of predict it sometimes. And I'm not saying he did. We haven't had that conversation, but that's just what a big deal it was. And I wish he could have done it in front of fans. In my mind, if there was ever going to be one Hall of Fame ceremony, it was definitely going to be that. It was going to be my friend Glenn Jacobs. And I didn't get to do that. But this isn't about me. It's about him. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's just like the worst timing, but they got to have a big star and it doesn't get much bigger than Kane. So. Yeah. And I dare say uh, his emotion caught up to The Undertaker. <laughs> yeah. And you see The Undertaker takes a second there because Glenn's emotion is so off the charts that I think it even caught The Undertaker off guard. And he started to get choked up too. I He did. And not only, you know, the, the Brothers of Destruction and the, the storyline and their careers, you know, parallel in so many ways. You know, I know, your listeners know, anybody that's talked about Glenn Jacobs on podcasts, Jim Cornette says this, Jim Ross says this, the other wrestlers say this. He is one of the nicest and kindest human beings in the wrestling business, and that's saying a lot. If yeah. you know what I mean, just around, all around, I think everybody that's ever known him or just watched him and been a fan or just know what kind of person he is was so glad for him to go in, and I don't think that was a small part of The Undertaker's reaction either. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he does, you know, they, they made a reference to Isaac Yankum. He said his mother's favorite wrestler was Isaac right. Yankum, uh, you know, which is just so funny to see all the stuff that he did. Maybe she wasn't a big fan of him uh, setting uh, Shane McMahon's testicles ablaze, with, with a, uh, you know, with a, a car battery. Maybe that was not like a high point, but let's well, talk about Isaac. Well, oh, what are you saying? I've got to stop you, Ian. You've mentioned sure. that. So I'm friends with a lot of what I do with my political journalism. I'm friends with a lot of young libertarians. And there was a woman, she was a libertarian fundraiser. And she goes, I'm going to meet with Glenn Jacobs. She goes, I don't know anything about wrestling. This was a woman in her early 20s. I said, well, just Google Kane. You find stuff everywhere. The first thing she found was that the battery 
electrifying Shane's testicles. And she just sent me a, a link. She said, I'm definitely judging you right now. <laughs> but that was her perception. <laughs> he had a couple of moments there in those early 2000s that were a little uh, suspect. I'm not going to say the obvious one, but he had a couple. The, the testicle one, I think as time has gone on, has gotten a little more uh, credence than it did at the time because he was doing such like out there stuff uh, with that character. But we got to talk about Isaac Yankin because that is what, took place during the new generation era. I haven't really talked about Isaac Yankum and I've been doing this show for close to a year. I haven't talked about him once in terms of uh, a spotlight. He's had a couple of matches on some raws that we've, uh, we've highlighted, but everybody kind of has to remember this. If you make fun of the fact he was a dentist, you got to remember he's, he's almost seven feet tall. The fact he came in in his first match main evented against Bret Hart, was a pretty big deal. So uh, as much as Isaac Yankin might get some flack for being a corny or a weird new generation character, he got a, a big time feud with Bret Hart in his first run. So, I mean, that's a high mark to start with. Uh, you're, you're not wrong. And people forget what a big deal that was, despite the awfulness of the gimmick. That was a big deal. And look, you know, I attended a number of Glenn's campaign stocks when he ran for mayor. He uses Isaac Yankum as part of his stump speech about persistence and never giving up and the adversity that comes your way. And it's a funny story. So if like you don't know about Isaac Yankum or his you know wrestling period and you're talking to voters, potential voters, you're like, well, you know, I always wanted to be a wrestler my whole life. I wrestled in Smoky Mountain and da, 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 da. finally got a call from Vince and I'm going to be a dentist. And everybody laughs like, what the hell is that? A wrestling dentist. We actually have one now with Britt Baker, but we'll get into <laughs> that. Different right. Different one. But he used it, he would use that on the campaign trail and say, like, this crap gimmick was given to me. Um, and he even mentions, he says this in his book, and he would say this during his speeches, that the Undertaker said, hey, man, I think this sucks, too. But if it looks like you don't care and you're not trying, you won't be long for this place. And he would say to potential voters, talking about the kind of job he was going to do as mayor, you know, I don't give up on people. I don't give up on myself. You know, people like the Undertaker taught me that. And, you know, pushing through, like, what if they did get rid of me and somebody else was Kane? That kind of thing. Yeah. So I think he used this thing that we all kind of laugh at. And that was really kind of a crappy time for him in wrestling because, like, you just couldn't put that over because it was just goofy. Um, he used it to learn his teachable moments. He learned some important lessons from that time. No, it's great. And uh, I remember even when, you know, you first introduced me to him and we were talking about having him come on uh, the podcast for an interview. You know, it was like an unapproachable topic at the time. And I, it feels like to me and, and having been to signings with him and seen his reaction, he's kind of changed a little bit towards Isaac Yankin, where maybe six or seven years ago, there wasn't that, that kind of affinity that has maybe grown on him, but that's just me as an outsider thinking that. There's action figures now of Isaac Yankum. The WWE made the T-shirts, like you said. You know, you got your Isaac Yankum T-shirt. There's trading <laughs> cards now of Isaac Yankum that there never was before. So maybe perhaps he's seen the love since he's hit the trail here, the campaign trail and the, you know, the, the convention circuit, that, yeah, it's a goofy character in terms of presentation, but anything the WWF kind of presents has a shelf life and does live on forever. Right. Like, you know, I'm not going to talk about sparky plugs to Bob Holly forever. Oh, he whatever. hates that. I will say right. that. He hates that with a passion. I, I, I think, and I look, he and I've talked about Isaac Yankum a little bit. And I'm not going to speak for Glenn or talk about everything we talked about or anything like that. But my take on it is like, you remember when he hung up on the radio DJ, the first thing he did was bring up Isaac Yankum. He's like, right. oh, screw you. Who knows what was happening that day? And I think it when it feels like to him, people are laughing at him, that rubs him the wrong way. And I would have 
feel the same way. But yeah. if they're laughing with him at this funny thing we remember that doesn't really matter now, I think that's a different mood. I think just what that feels like matters. And I think as he gets older, we all get more mellow and it's not a big deal. I yeah. did ask him, because I, you know how the stupid thing where they change Matt Riddle's name to Riddle. I'm like, does, yeah. he, does he autograph things just Riddle now? Like, how does that work? <laughs> and I, I texted Glenn. I'm like, all right, Isaac Yankum, do you, if you get the, the action figure, do you write Kane or do you write Dr. Isaac Yankum? Because more people know you as Kane. He goes, if it's Isaac Yankum, that's how I sign it. Yeah. So I go, well, that's longer than four letters. So I was just curious, you know, so he's got a, a good, Glenn's got a good sense of humor about most yeah. things anyway. So that that's in there too. And he's evolved the signature. I think for a while he was just writing DDS and then he changed <laughs> it to having the, it's, you know, it's an Isaac. And then I think it has a DDS at the bottom. Uh, but I will say, you know, I know with, with Shane Douglas, he will not sign Dean Douglas. Um, he says that there's a promise he made to a, a kid back in the day that he signed an autograph, the kid passed away. And he said that that would be the last time he signed Dean Douglas. Um, but you put anything in front of him, he'll sign at the franchise. He does not, you know, he, cool. he doesn't favor at that, which, yeah, it's cool, but it's funny, you know, guys do think about that stuff and they do kind of put a little, uh, onus into it, you know? And I yeah. think that for Shane, that's pretty admirable. They do. And I don't mind that. I kind of, my, my philosophy with autographs is I don't mind buying the autograph of somebody who, you know, I would buy Thomas Jefferson's autograph, somebody that's not around that you can't meet. But I like the experience of meeting the person and whatever yeah. they do. My four horsemen poster, you know, Rick always does, Flair does always the 16 times. He wants yep. you to remember, like we didn't already know that, but that's cool. That's cool. And Tully Blanchard, I don't know if he still does this, probably does they do the Bible verse. Yes. And the Koloffs would do that too. And whether you're religious or not, that's who they are. And you met them and that's what they did. And who gives a damn? That is cool. That's a pit yep. of their personality on top of your fandom. So I like all that stuff. Me too. I should make a business out of it and continue to yeah. do with it. Like, I, should do, do that. I do like it that much. All right. Now, how about just quickly before we uh, we wrap up and say goodbye, just about uh, the fake Diesel. So we went from Isaac Yankum to Diesel and was basically, you know, forced to watch Kevin Nash matches and take on all the mannerisms of Kevin Nash. And I got to say, because he did put his all into it, he did a pretty goddamn good job of, of emulating Kevin Nash's movements. Yes, he did. And that's also part of his stump speech. Well, like Kane didn't come next. I had to do this thing. <laughs> so he would bring that up. But yeah, he did a good job. I got to tell you, I was watching because this is when they were trying to figure out what to do leading yeah. up to the Attitude Era. I was paying more attention and I didn't know Glenn then and him and what, what was the guy that was fake? Uh, he just passed away. He, he was Rick Bogner. He was a uh, big Titan, um, Rick Titan. He had a couple different names, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, he was the fake razor and Glenn was the fake. I, I felt sorry for them. I didn't know these people, but I felt so I was like, this is just dumb. I felt sorry for Jim Ross at the time because <laughs> he put his credibility on the line and people were like, what are they going to do? Um, but I, my understanding is Holland Nash uses his leverage in WCW to get more yeah. money. So more power to them. They didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. And the story is that, uh, Scott Hall called the fake razor and asked if he wanted to buy any gear. <laughs> and that's like, <laughs> that's how great is that? You know, so make your extra contract box and sell some, uh, some gear. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think there's any fake diesel merch or anything out there. Is there like, there is. So the only thing that I know of, and we've done a lot of spotlights as of late on the merchandise, Jack, with how popular all wrestling merchandise is these days, there are a handful, maybe two or three fake diesel trading cards. Okay. But I don't believe there's an action figure. I don't believe there's any t-shirts, but there are some trading cards with Glenn as diesel with it labeled Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Okay. It doesn't say fake 
Diesel. No, that's just what we call it. <laughs> oh, and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, again, you know, I, I am tried and true to the wrestling business. I, I never have asked him about any of this stuff. I, I was told at the start, don't. And I did not. So uh, I would love to know, do you ever see them in Memphis? Uh, I've seen the clips. You've seen the clips. If you, and again, go back and watch this. And I, and I have to do a separate episode about the WWF guys that went to Memphis during this era, but razor and diesel have a blow off <laughs> to their tag team in a kind of big feud in Memphis in the USWA, uh, where the, uh, you know, I guess we would say the mega powers exploded, but the fake entities explode in Memphis and have a, uh, a feud and a blow off. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. If you want to put it on YouTube, it's on there. If you want to check it out. Yeah. I have not seen that. I've seen the Christmas creature. If you want to go back to that time, yeah, there's another one. <laughs> yeah. Unibomb and Smoky mountain, but I haven't seen that one. And there's another moniker. Somebody showed me the other day, a mutual friend of ours who's English, uh, that I'd never seen before that I've been meaning to ask Glenn about it. Kurt Curtis Braun or something like that. Was this from uh, WCW? I think so. It's just like a picture. It's like He's a screenshot. Got, he did, well, I had, so somebody sent in for a, a signing that I was with Glenn. They sent in his WCW appearance as Bruiser Mastino. That's what it was. Yeah, That's that was it. it. Okay. I butchered it. Bruiser Mastino had a few job matches in WCW on Worldwide. And he actually had a match with Sting. <laughs> so, Whoa, okay. Yeah, and that's on, I think that's on something, maybe one of the DVDs or something. But he, yeah, there's a, it's Bruiser Mestino and he signed it, Bruiser Mestino. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's one I didn't even know about. So, the many faces of Glenn Jacobs. Man, what a guy. But in all sense, and like we said, Hall of Famer through and through. Uh, couldn't be that was the my favorite part of WrestleMania was watching his pyro at the Hall of Fame and yeah. at the WrestleMania night two. So I hate to be a mark for him, but that was my favorite part because uh, yeah, he's really the, one of the only guys that I will tune back in for because I really just always love the character of Kane and and you know even though that's not in this timeline of the new generation, I I tip my cap. <laughs> yes, and one more thing about his speech, I like and uh, Molly Holly I guess kind of did this too. But I like how he thanked the production crew, yes. the, the rigging guys, because the Kane character couldn't happen with all the bells and whistles, and he knows that. And he knows how important the timing and you know just everything working correctly and him not getting burned to death because somebody showed him how to not do that. Um, I thought that showed a lot of class. Not surprising he did it, but I think more people need to mention that he did do that. And a lot of people don't go there in their big speeches. Yeah. No, you're right. And they're the unsung heroes uh, of the production because, you know, from my time there, it is a it is like the closest you're going to get to a movie uh, set. If you've never worked on a movie set or in a television environment, just as hectic as news, because it's always changing. There's always something going on. And that crew is out of this world uh, on another level. And now you see how people borrow from it. You see how all these other entities are stealing the WWE model. So it's uh, it's a testament to their hard work. You're absolutely right. It's, I mean, their production is top-notch and second to none. All right, Jack. Well, we're going to get to the wrap-up here. We'll get to say goodbye. Uh, you know, you've got your your long historical uh, wrestling background. You know, like I said, you're the best fan that I know. I always, like, if I really want to know something uh, that's going on, I check out your feed. Uh, but where can the listeners find out more about uh, my good buddy, Jack Hunter? Well, I work in political journalism primarily. I wish it was wrestling journalism. That's way more interesting than politics. <laughs> but you can follow me at Jack Hunter 74 on Twitter. Uh, you can read my columns at the Washington Examiner. and I'm a, re a frequent contributor at the American Conservative. 
And I'm on Instagram. What is that? Jack Hunter 74 as well. So I was consistent. So you can find me in those places and on Facebook at Jack Hunter 74. I say Instagram is for the young people because I don't really, uh, I don't really get it, but I'm TikTok. trying. <laughs> TikTok is for the young people. TikTok is now for the, so now the Instagram is for the moderate in between the old and the I'm, young. You know, I'm a couple years older than you and I've been on Instagram for a while. I think people <laughs> our age use it, but TikTok I think is like for 13 year old girls, right? Uh, my wife watches TikTok and I go, you're not, stop. Dude, you're not, in the, <laughs> you're not in this age group anymore. They're having few. She listened to a podcast the other day and the whole podcast was about some TikTok feud. <laughs> oh, and I was like, I, I go, look, if you don't know what they're talking about and I don't know what they're talking about, I'm having a harder time understanding what they're actually talking about. What is this? What, why is there feud on TikTok and why are you listening to this? <laughs> it's almost like people are interested in feuds, real or simulated. I don't know what that mm. is. Maybe because somebody can base a business on that as well. Mm. So why are wrestling ratings down if everybody wants to uh, watch manufactured <laughs> stuff? I don't get it. I don't know. Maybe TikTok knows how to do it better than the uh, wrestling companies these days. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's Russian collusion. So we always just go back <laughs> to the Russians, right? <laughs> yes. I've taken my picture next to Nikita Koloff, which is collusion, and Ivan Koloff. <laughs> yes. Loaded with them many times. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get on out of here for this week. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Chad EMB. See, I learned how to keep it uniform, too. I learned that was uh, that was a, my social media one on one class. I took keep it uniform. <laughs> uh, and also, if you want to go to my website, it's ibexclusives.com. You can get all my autograph signing things going on there for this platform. It's the TMPT Empire dot com or excuse me. It's just TMPT Empire dot com. You've got all our podcasts under one roof, all of the cool stuff that John's got going on uh, in this universe, as well as with the Russo brand, where in addition to all of that, you can hear the Triple Threat podcast with myself, John, and the franchise, Shane Douglas. And of course, the Queen of Extreme and I, every single week, it's Eyes Up Here. It is on Patreon and also the Creative Control Network. Uh, it's been a joy catching up with you. I would love to uh, attend a show. I was contemplating heading to the gathering this year. I've had early discussions with some folks about the gathering. And if that is uh, to come together, I would love to uh, grab another drink with you like we did the last time. That was great. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to hang out with you in the bar like we did last time. And it was great chatting with you today. I was looking forward to this and it lived up to that. Awesome. All right. Well, for my, uh, my good buddy here, Jack Hunter, this is the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.